did you know that oysters have been around for approximately 15 million years? 15 million. I, I'm not going to say I knew the number, but like, I'm not surprised to no, hear the number. No, I mean, it's basically a, a, a muscle in a... And when I say muscle, I mean in the terms of a, a bundle of proteins, not a, uh, you know, similar... Uh, what 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 do they what do they call them? Um, um, crust it, 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 like a oh it's, <clears throat> yeah I know like the this species, the, the range you I know, know this. yeah the shell shellfish yeah. shellfish that's the I... word I was looking for shellfish why was that so fucking yeah. hard it has a shell it's not really a fish though it's a bundle of proteins like here's here's my thought on hearing that age of of fish uh, again not a fish uh. If if I were just a bundle of goo inside a shell at the bottom of the ocean, I'm pretty Mollusks! sure that like uh, Sorry. Oh, there we go. Mollusks! There we go. Yes. Sorry. I was I knew I knew the word. I knew yeah. I knew the word. <laughs> yeah. No, I Sorry. You, you could tell me that <laughs> No, it's okay. You you could tell me that any mollusk had survived like since the dawn of time and I'd be like, yeah, yeah. no change mm-hmm. of environment is ever going to affect the bundle of goo in the hard shell at the bottom of the sea. Did you know? I mean, the amount of mileage I got out of that, the amount of mileage I got out of, <laughs> oh shit, Laura just counted us down to record and I've got nothing. And I, <laughs> I, I refuse to do another week where the gimmick is I've got nothing. Quick, type facts about what, what? First one that comes into my head. Oysters, where the fuck did oysters come from? Do better, Steph. You can't do better. Do oysters. Um, we got a lot of mileage out of that. So I'll give you another one. <laughs> okay, okay. And then I've got one for you. Oh, I think I know which one it is that you've got. I, I, I don't I don't think you do. I'm going in a bit of a left turn oh, okay. of ocean creatures. Oh, you'll be doing different ocean creatures. All right, well, I've got... I don't know. I've, I've got I, two... That, that's where I'm going. I've got two interesting oyster facts, then. First one, an oyster becomes an adult when it turns one year old and it can live as long as 20 years. Now, first of all, I think that a couple of like Republican oysters signed that bill into law. (laughs) (laughs) But second of all, interesting fact. Now here's where I don't think there are many Republican oysters. Oysters can change their sex and will often do it more than once, several times back and forth. Yeah. Oysters are trans and they do it for a giggle. Okay, now hell yeah! I do need to recontextualize this information a little bit. Yeah, but, you know, like okay, so it's an it's classified as an adult. It, it reaches maturity at one year. Yeah, but lives for twenty. Twenty. Right. Okay. So imagine, all right, you reach you know maturity at twenty five. I mean, I still haven't reached it many would argue can, but yeah, yeah let's say yeah, that but yes yeah, yeah. at 25 right okay and so now you're going to live to be how how long is that um uh 25 times is it about what 20 500 yeah, yeah. years you're going to That's live a... 500 years. They, imagine, yeah, is... imagine yeah. living 500 years. 
Imagine living 500 years and just being at the bottom of the ocean. That's a very boring place but to It's no wonder years. they change their sex so often. Yeah. Like, fuck this, I'm bored. <laughs> uh, so I have like one ocean fat that I'm going to share yeah. because like I, I just got to think about ocean fats. I am aware of the existence of a great ocean creature that you're going to look at pictures of and go... That's not a real fucking, fucking thing. I love weird ocean shit. So like yeah. my fingers are on the keyboard right now ready for yep. this. Okay. So uh what you want to search for is the Tully monster. The official name is the Tully Monstrum, but it's colloquially known as the Tully Monster. Have either of you got this thing pulled up? This oh, is Oh wow. This is one of them Pokemon they come up with when they've run out of ideas, like towards the end yeah. of the, the design duck. So I wanna describe like the features I find fascinating about this. So like Initially, imagine just like a pink cod with no like fins on the side. Uh huh. Then onto that, you're gonna stick like two eyeballs going in completely opposite directions on stalks, one to the left, one to the right. Yeah. Uh huh. Then you put a tentacle on the front rather than a mouth that leads to a crab claw. Uh huh. And then there's little holes all down the side of it that look like it's the magic school bus has transformed and you're looking out the portholes. This is a prank. You see, looking at this, I was like, it's like if, um, it's like if Lovecraft had designed that fucking vacuum cleaner in the Teletubbies. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's just... I think I have to agree with Conrad, this is a joke. Someone's made this up. Um... It it is it is no longer alive. It is an extinct creature, but we have right. fossils of oh, this thing. Oh yeah, yeah, we've got real genuine fossils of this. I mean, um, uh, they they look pretty good to I me. Mean, there was a Kickstarter for a plushie. Now we all know that everything ever crowdfunded is a scam. Uh, <laughs> we know it's it's the rule of the internet. I'm not saying that like marine biology and archaeology as as two separate fields, were swindled and convinced to believe in this thing, just so Paleozoic pals could sell a stuffed toy. But can I tell you my favourite thing? You, you're yeah. talking about this thing being a prank. There is a there is a section on the Wikipedia about a page about the Tully Monstrum that is about the, the section is called Paleontologists' Prank. Oh, uh, the sh- the short version. In the late 1960s, a paleontologist uh, basically pretended that these things hadn't gone extinct and that he'd found some in a remote lake in Kenya. He made up a bunch of bullshit that, like, they could supposedly kill a person with a single bite and produce some sort of milk. Like, some weird bullshit. Uh, And he started sending letters under aliases to other, like, curators of, like, museums being and, and like paleontologists going like no 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 I found them they're re- they're real and he he had to like he had to publicly come out and, den- and like announce his own hoax because people started planning Amazing. like expeditions to go see the long extinct <clears throat> nonsense fish now I tell you what I I consider myself uh someone with a an eye for treasure and an ear for an interesting uh, avenue, let's say an interesting intellectual avenue. Now there was something you said in that discussion yeah. of that hoax, and as someone with an ear for treasure, I gotta admit I was intrigued. Uh, I'm not sure if if either of you could guess the bit that that got me excited 
Mm-hmm. But I will preface what I'm about to say with the phrase, hear me out. <laughs> fish milk. Yeah. I yeah. mean, look, fish milk is definitely the most exciting part How of this How do thing. we start making and selling this? Can you I milk mean, fish? Like, I, I know mean, it's look, not got... I know it's not a mammal. It doesn't produce having, milk, but what could we milk out of one? Having looked at this thing... I wouldn't put it past it to secretly produce milk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, for this, I'm like, yeah, if you just, like, run your hands upwards along the tentacle, milk will come out I was just the thinking crab that. probably. Yeah, if you just, like, yeah. grip, grip, grip the shaft with your, your hand and just stroke it up and down. Um, and I reckon you'd get something. <laughs> you'd get yeah. something would happen. If you jerked off a Tully monster's tentacle... I guarantee you something would happen. Oh, well, you know what's about to happen on this podcast? It's Podquisition. We're going to talk about video games. Um, Yeah, yeah. Set us up. I'm just uh, drawing a diagram for my um, little machine. I'm going to build a machine that will allow you to filter milk through fish. I guarantee you, if I did that, something would happen. I am very excited to see the hastily, uh, sorry, not hastily made, the lovingly Loving made me. MS Paint art uh, render depicting how this will work. Mm, this uh, milk. Who's who's been playing stuff this week? Has anyone played much? Um, I keep forgetting to put in the pre-show chat uh, what I've played. Yeah, I, I, do I, I don't know so who's played know. a lot, so that I I know who to throw stuff around to. I'm trying to remember what, what I played. Well, while you both think about what you've played, I'm going to jump in and talk about some things I've played. That and seems I'm going to start. I'm just going to jump in. So I have finished the Vampire Survivors new DLC. That is fucking fantastic. Uh, that DLC has more content in it than I expected. And it does a good job of catching you off guard with how it doles out the additional things it has hiding in it. I have a new favourite character to play as, and it's the fucking Colin the Caterpillar character. I had no particularly good build sorry, with no um, eggs on... Sorry, one sec. TM. TM. Let's not forget that, that Semi is a... a a registered trademark of Vampire Survivors and the Vampire Survivors family of products, TM. Sorry, Sammy TM, <laughs> yes. Uh, without like knowing what I was doing, I stumbled into a build with that caterpillar where... Uh, you know how when you get Gold Rush and like the amount of gold you've earned so far without the meter going down is at the bottom of the screen and you see the amount of gold? Yeah. So I was about 20 million gold in in 20 minutes. Brilliant. Uh, and I couldn't see anything anymore because the entire screen was just one digit because that one gold rush had still not ended 20 minutes in and was just getting bigger and bigger to the point that one digit was covering the whole screen. And I was leveling up so fast that it was like 20 minutes in, I was like level 700, 701, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Like the second I could see that it had gone up a level, it had gone up another level already. Like I've, I've never... I've never broken the game as quickly and efficiently as I did with that caterpillar, and I am in love. They are my new favorite dopamine machine. They're great. <laughs> new Vampire Survivors DLC. It's real good fun. It is good. I did get to play at last because last week yeah. I, I didn't think to play the version I had, and uh, yeah, I really like the environment design, especially on the uh, the lake, uh, Lake Fuscari. Yes. Um, you know, similar to what they did with Moonspell, where they've not had those 
endless levels. They're actually there's yeah. a a map that's laid out. It's a really good one and, and really yeah. evocative. The whole sort of folklore uh, inspiration makes for a really nice backdrop. Indeed. I dig all the new characters. They're all real fun. Mm-hmm. But while we're here, yeah. I do want to talk about another survivor, survivors y kind of game I played this week. We should just make a segment. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, because yeah. there's always going to be one of these. There's like, always going to be one week. of them. Yeah. Well, we'll think about it for next week. We'll come up with a segment for it. But uh, are either of you aware of Renfield Bring Your Own Blood? I've. I keep hearing it. But because so this is 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 this licensed from the movie? This is a licensed tie-in to the Nicolas Cage vampire movie that's happening. Okay, it's like five bucks, which is more expensive than like your average Survivor's game, but is still cheap for a licensed tie-in. And it's like, yeah, it's not an offensive price. And I will get out the way. This game has launched as an early access title, promising six months of updates. But I'm going to talk about it in the state it has launched in, which is very content light. And I do have my, like, questions of, will you actually commit to six months of of updates to this? Or the second the film is out, are you going to forget about it? Question mark, we'll see. But talking about what is there, I do find this really fun. It is a survivor's game that has its own unique little gimmick and that is going to enter my rotation of things I play. Much like any other Survivor's game, you're one little character that starts with their starting attack that happens on a regular timer. Uh, in this case, you are sort of attacking just in front of the direction you are you are facing with some sort of clawed hands, and that's your default attack. Every time you level up, you either level up the attacks you've already got, or you get new ones that attack in different patterns at different rates of occurring. It's very Survivor's-y. Unlike Vampire Survivors itself, this is largely made up of individual rooms where you will sort of enter an individual room, a number of enemies will spawn, once those enemies are all dead you move on to the next room, sort of more contained environments, which works well for what they're trying to do, which is you have a limited number of chances to level up on the way into a level. You can't perpetually sit around forever trying to make an overpowered build. You have a certain number of rooms on your way in as you pick your path, which will inevitably lead to a certain amount of experience with which to build a build. Your end point is you will reach a innocent person. I think in all the runs I've done, it's been like, it's been represented as like a cheerleader or something. And then you have two choices. And this is where this kind of diverts from the usual Vampire Survivor Z formula. You can either do the easy mode, which is to sacrifice this person to the vampire you're supposed to be getting blood for, or you can try and save them by instead going and killing a bunch more enemies to get more blood from them to take back to your vampire. Uh, And the way that 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 difficulty dictates is you on the way out have a very limited amount of time to escape these levels. I think it's like two minutes. If you try and save the person, you have to do additional rooms on your escape route. So you have more killing you have to do to get through more doors to get out, but you will get greater rewards. Versus if you're willing to just sort of kill them and feed them to to Dracula, you have a shorter route, which honestly, even with the shorter route, it is a really tight deadline that you are put up against to fight your way through several rooms of enemies, and then there will be a boss in the final room that you will have to kill and get past. This sort of structure and like the having to do the escape route 
uh, section under a time limit kind of changes how I think about building a build in a survivor's game like this, because usually I'm building a build to be able to eternally just sort of back away dealing damage grabbing uh, experience, and I'm not usually too worried about how quickly I'm killing things, as long as like I am sustainably staying alive. Whereas when you've only got two minutes to clear however many rooms of enemies and the boss and get out, you have to make sure that your build is capable of doing quick damage to large groups of enemies on your way out so that you aren't trying to one by one pick them off. And that does change the way you think about builds. And it has been an interesting little twist on uh, on that genre. Now, at this moment, there is only one character I can work out how to play as. And there are three stages, only one of which is unlocked. And I can't work out if I can unlock the others yet or if they're coming later. So, like, go in with the understanding that this game is, like, it has launched in a, like, not a content-rich state, and you are somewhat banking on either being okay with that in perpetuity or believing the developers it will get six months of content added to it. But you could do a lot worse than this if you are just looking for something that feels a little bit different to have in the rotation. And, like, this is not going to be my new obsession. I'm not going to be playing, like, a 100-plus hours of this, probably. But in a week where I had the Vampire Survivors DLC and I started playing Gunsuit Guardians and I had both of those available to me to play, Mm -hmm. there are times where I came back and played more of this. Interesting. The big takeaway I have for it is less, like, a recommendation that you should go, like, pick it up. Like, if if you've not gotten into Survivors-type games... I would never say go pick this up over basically any other one we've ever talked about. But the quality is there. It feels really good to play. There is really good uh, differentiation between the different attack types. They all feel very different to use. They all feel balanced to be equally useful in a build. And I find it fascinating that we've reached the point where we have a licensed tie-in game that is, albeit a bit content light, not just doing the survivor's formula, but doing something new with it and feeling good to play at the same time. I'm kind of impressed by it, despite the big caveat of it really feels like they needed to get this out for a release day and didn't really have time to put the game in the game. Surprisingly positive about it, though. It's worth a look if you're someone that enjoys this genre and is curious about the first toe dippings of a company going, that seems a manageable thing yeah. to make a licensed tie-in out of. Yeah, I mean, you know, considering the theme, the relation yeah. with... I mean, I, I think it's cheating a bit to have it actually vampire-related, which goes against the spirit of Vampire Survivors. <laughs> I'm suddenly realising, I was going to say, is Vampire Survivors about surviving vampires coming to get you or being a vampire trying to survive? I don't know whether whether the title means specifically one or the other. Well, I I think the lore is that you're looking for a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. You're hunting for a vampire. Yeah. This is at least you are a vampire and there's people trying to kill you because you're a vampire. And you're at least not looking for a vampire. Not a half bad one. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Cool, cool. Uh, what about you both? Have either of you played anything this week? I know Conrad and I have played the same game this week. A bit. What I mean, uh, what I've played? only dabbled. And, dabbled. and it is 
And it is in response yeah. to knowing that you had dabbled. Yes, you've you've not inhaled. Um, mm-hmm. No, never. I would never inhale. Never. You, very uncharacteristic of our clean right. cut, our clean cut <laughs> Christmas boy, Conrad. Um, and that's my new name for you, by the way, Conrad the Christmas the clean boy. Cut Christmas. The okay. clean cut right, Christmas yeah. boy. Yeah, I just want to see you wearing some nice Christmas shoes and uh, one of those sort of woolen Christmas jumpers. Uh, and yeah, shorts. that's all doable, actually. Yeah, jorts specific. Jorts. That's I, a good Christmas again, look doable. for you. In fact, I have most of the things you describe already. Excellent. That's a good Christmas boy. Um, yes, uh, Conrad. Uh, Conrad's been putting together the new Trash Girl Diaries, and yeah. I talked a lot about uh, uh, Grasshopper Manufacture Suda Fifty One games on that because uh, they've just been on my mind. Um, and I had been playing it last week, but I uh, didn't get around to mentioning it on Pod Position. Uh, but I did finish it yesterday. Um, I've been playing Killer Seven on my Steam Deck. Um, a game that is it great on deck? It's it's actually pretty damn good on deck. It works really yeah. really well on deck. Um, yeah, no real issues except every now and then uh, the dialogue will disappear in a couple chats with the uh, ghost NPCs, but considering they all sound like uh, it doesn't actually really impact the dialogue per se. But yeah, Killer 7, it's the first Grasshopper manufacture game I ever played. Same, I think, yeah. It was also the first one that uh, was released outside of Japan, I believe. Which would make a difference. Yeah, it would help. I played it when it was new, way back in Mm -hmm. the day. I hated it for like the first half an hour and then suddenly something just just went and I'm like oh wait no I get this and it's brilliant I found it fascinating from go mm-hmm. but but a bit impenetrable oh yeah I was not grasping it and so I would it's one of those games that I would go back to a few times and sort of fool around with it and try to get a feel and figure out what it was asking of me to do and then move on and yeah. come back to it in a few months. And at some point, I think I want to say around 2013, maybe 2012, I did play it through. Um, but I, I played, I think, I think that time I probably played the PlayStation two release. Yeah. That's where I, what I played it on. Like okay, back in yeah, the day. I, I played it on GameCube originally mm-hmm. and I may have played it on GameCube again. I can't remember. But yeah, and I when I played it again here, I played the the PS2 version emulated, and I do not know how I did it <laughs> some 10 years ago, because the analog control of the um, aim yeah. is so fiddly, and it's, it's tied to your movement. Uh, to what would normally typically be your movement control. It's, yeah. it's the left analog. And there are no settings to adjust that. Like, mm-hmm. there's absolutely no no need for the uh, left analog to be used for anything in that game because movement is handled with the button face, face buttons, and you don't need to move and aim at the same time. I almost, like want to laugh when i think about the controls because in their own way they work really well but yeah. every time i think you reload by flicking the right analog stick up what are, yeah, like what I, are they thinking? 
But oh. once you actually like get used to it, it's it's not un, it's not intuitive. But once you get used to it, it feels intuitive. It's a weird thing. It does feel very natural. Eventually, I was playing it on stream um, the other night, and actually, I was I was making my wife Linda play it on the stream because right. I think that it would be the sort of thing that she could be really into because of it. It is just creepy and strange and um mysterious in a way it, it it really feels like like a predecessor of internet horror stuff there is some of that to it yeah but watching her try to play it where she doesn't do a lot of first person shooting generally i don't think but has some experience with it and so she would pull the button to aim and bring up her gun and then immediately try to move the right analog stick to aim with, and it would just go into reload. Mm. And, you know, and, and then, the, you know, Heaven Smile is just sort of trotting towards as they, you know, while they're doing the reload action, which you can't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, yeah. I mean, they're it's really rough. quick, uh, yeah. the reload animations, which was a deliberate design thing. But they can be a problem, especially because, you know, once you're aiming, you ain't moving. It is a fascinating game structurally not just for what it is but what it's supposed to represent because as i'll discuss later when i talk about having played no more heroes one of the things that grasshopper games love to do is make little points with their gameplay they love to use their gameplay to make a point which sometimes is brilliant and sometimes is no more heroes (laughs) but killer Mm. seven i genuinely think is because I like the weird on rails way it's set up, because yeah. it's not it's not traditional it's not a traditional on rails thing. In the you know you hold a button to move forwards, you can turn round and move backwards. It's not like House of the Dead where it automatically moves. You have freedom of movement along the rail. Yeah, and your character is essentially on a train track that you can stop, and and there are different points where you can um, change. You know root which i love i really like the uh flicking the right stick while moving to mm-hmm. pick a new like when there's a, a fork in the road because especially if you know the forks are coming having the stick ready in time it just feels really good to just suddenly make that sort of switch from one track to another but that's another example of one of those things that feels unintuitive at first at first until yes. you begin to get accustomed to it because you will you, you press this button to move forward and you hold X and your impulse when you reach the end of the uh, walkway is to release X and then make a choice. Yeah, of course. And, you know, and, and move the stick in one direction or the other. But it's reversed from the way you think about it. You're not confirming by pressing X. Mm-hmm. You're selecting <laughs> by using the stick. There's no confirmation involved. You just no. go. And And once you nail that, it feels really good. Yeah. Killer 7 makes perfect, like, well, Killer 7's mechanics make <laughs> perfect sense once you make sense of them. Like, retroactively, you're like, oh, yeah, this all clicks. Which I think is a big reason why I really didn't like it at first. Like, for that first little bit. But, you know, what's interesting about it is that game, thematically, bearing in mind, I have thought about this game since the 2000s. 
this game captured my imagination back then. I have constantly thought about this. I have read about this game. I have ruminated on its story. I know everything there is to know about what happened. And I couldn't tell you what the fuck's happening. But <laughs> one of the big themes of, of the game is East versus West. And the almost sort of pointless cyclical nature of conflict between them. And that's actually reflected in the game design and was reflected in reviews of the game from Western uh, publications who hated how linear it felt. And as someone who has argued for many years about how linear should stop being treated like a dirty word and yeah. how a lot of open worlding of games is almost arbitrary and could often fuck with the pacing of a game, this game that has a first person shooter element to it very western flavored elements to it but is on this very linear path the way it represents that sort of conflict between east and west is is really interesting and the thought that game reviews kind of um emphasized that adds a little meta level of interest to it for me i consider myself quite lucky in a way that i wasn't completely put off right because i'd seen trailers for this thing and I, as someone who is um, very open about their various mental illnesses, uh, anything with sort of mental health kind of, um, especially in horror, um, not so much when it's like, you know, very stigmatizing, but something that actually plays with the themes a little more uniquely always has my interest. So the premise of this, you know, this sort of someone manifesting different identities that had my attention the moment that game was announced. So I forced myself to stick with it when I played it. And I was like, what is this? What the fuck is this? Uh, and I'm really glad I did because, you know, the end of that first level is fantastic fun. Kun Lan, the, the main villain, had me from the start, obviously. He's mm -hmm. camp and he, like, scream laughs, which if anyone's seen me it, do heel work in pro wrestling, you know I'm all about that shit. I'm very glad that I wasn't put off by the linearity and that I feel like the many years where I've argued for linearity in games, I really should have brought this game up more because it's just such a good game. And I think the restrictive, what, what many have called the restrictive gameplay is one of those rare instances where a game makes a point with its design and structure and actually succeeds. Unlike No More Heroes, which, again, I'll talk about a little later. But for this, I think the gameplay and the themes really inform each other. That idea of East-West conflict, which runs through the, the whole story, is um, really well represented, both in the weird-as-fuck story, which, don't get me wrong, so much of it is gibberish, to the point where they released a book that has been translated. They released a book to explain what was going on in the game the book contradicts almost everything that happened in the game and then later on the book contradicts itself <laughs> that's the level of like fucking unreliable <laughs> this game's story is but it almost doesn't matter even though I, I consider myself playing through it again like i understand more what's going on uh in a kind of weird cliff note way this game stylishly represents itself so well yeah, the the substance can get away with being confusing because there is substance there. I mean, it's not style over substance, but it is style that makes the 
incomprehensible nature of the substance forgivable. To a certain extent, even explains it away. Yeah, the, the game is very surreal. It fucks with reality and, and, you know, as it progresses, we start sort of questioning perceptions. So yeah, definitely. The fact that the game at times almost devolves into gibberish works if yeah. you can go with it. You've got to go with it. If you try and push back on it, then I think you'll get annoyed by it. Yeah, that game won me over more and more throughout the first level. The second level was more of the same, except that second level boss drove me up the fucking wall, the fellas with the brains. But then the second Andre Almeida showed up, I was like, okay, now I'm in love with this game. Because that level, the Cloud Man level, um, where you meet this... Uh, guy that converted a little texas town into his own like vision of a perfect city he's a great character mm -hmm. and that level is just that's where it got really silly and funny on top of the horrific stuff and then we go from that to fucking curtis blackburn just one of one of the worst like vilest characters in a video game ever curtis blackburn is just one of the most grotesque characters ever and one of the reasons this game was controversial, this game was uh, at the core of several debates when it was new about sex and violence in video games. A lot of people were kind of shocked and put off by it. Looking back, I mean, especially considering what we have in games now, yeah, it's there's stuff in there that's still shocking. I mean, Curtis Blackburn is a paedophile and rapist, and, and that's just what he does recreationally, like in terms of like really dark, fucked up subject matter in this game. But I'll say, like, there aren't many games that were bold enough to even acknowledge the existence of, like, just how fucking genuinely cruel people are. And it doesn't even do it to be shocking, I don't think. Certainly not in the case of Curtis. There is that very famous scene with Samantha, the um, the maid who's abusing uh, Harmon. But, yeah, I, I just, before, you know, I'm just sort of devolving into my own gibberish now just because... I have a lot of thoughts about this game, if you couldn't tell. I am fascinated by this game, and I'm so happy I replayed it, because I haven't had a full playthrough from beginning to end since it was new. I've picked it up many times. I think about it a lot, but I'm really glad I played through it again, because it is, it's so, it genuinely so fucking good. It well, is now, so do you, good. Specifically about the, um, the PC release, uh, yeah. does it have more settings for know. you know what you can use in terms of uh you know adjusting sensitivity and and so forth in it because there's none of that you can just invert in the PlayStation 2 release and you know I mean it's not a huge deal because if I get it on PC and I have to play it with a keyboard and mouse just to get some precision out of it but that's my problem it, the aiming is just so sensitive and all over the place yeah. with the analog I don't I don't know. I was just trying to do a, like, have a little Google for it. I'm not immediately seeing anything. I just did see a Reddit post titled, What the Fuck is Killer 7? <laughs> Fair. Um, We've all asked that. Yeah. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, comments do suggest that playing with a mouse is way better. It is, yeah, um, I'm sure. I mean, I mean no matter what PC game you ask that about, that will always be the advice. Yeah. Um, but, you know... I'm someone who's very used to using controllers and I yeah. really enjoyed the fact I played it on the Steam Deck. But abs the way this game's set up, you know, most of the, the Heaven Smile enemies are 
insta-killed if you can shoot a little collection of uh, like a little yellow glowing spot on their body and and that's the like experience you know benefit path to killing them too because that's how you get the thick blood which is how you get the serums that you use to upgrade the abilities of your smiths so yeah so yeah you do need to do it being able to do that consistently is, uh, and I will say that compared to the PS2, I remember having a massive amount of difficulty hitting those critical spots mm-hmm. on the PS2. On the Steam Deck, had a way easier time. Okay. Not consistent and guaranteed, but sure. a way better time. Also, I really underrated Kevin back in the day. The, oh, Kevin's um, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we went off on it. For anyone who doesn't actually know <laughs> what this game is. <laughs> Essentially, you have seven playable characters who are all the uh, alternate personalities of one character, and they're all assassins, and they are physically there. They're not just being imagined. They actually have a name for it, in, in like an in-universe name for it. Yeah. Like, it, I think it's multifoliate personality disorder or something like that, uh, where they physically manifest as different people. And so you've got these seven different characters who are all... You know, they control the same, but their weapons are very different and they have certain abilities. Like the default character, or sort of the normal character is Dan Smith, who has a revolver and is just very good at shooting stuff. Or uh, Kaede Smith, who has... They're, they're all called Smith as well. She has a scoped magnum so you can zoom in, uh, which is good for precision and long range, but she is a slow reloader. So it's only very situationally useful. A lot of them are. Some of them have abilities that are needed to open up paths like if there's a barrier some sort of like weird non-physical barrier kaede as you might expect cuts her wrist and sprays blood on it and it disappears obviously Obviously, we've all done that (laughs) and then you've got master smith because suda 51 is a massive wrestling nerd uh which i obviously have to respect who you know german suplexes pillars that are in the way and stuff and has a grenade launcher but anyway kevin smith is awesome kevin is kevin can turn himself invisible and fights with knives so he's the only one that doesn't need to reload and his waiver stat which is like weapon sway is really easily negotiable and the last time i played this game i thought kevin is boring and rubbish and i don't want to use him until towards the end of the game, and I was like, wait a minute, he's awesome. And then that happened again this time. (laughs) (laughs) Because as much as I remember the characters and the themes and everything Kunlan says, forgot so much about the actual, like, in-level experience. Mm -hmm. And to the point where I managed to forget that you don't need to go to the safe room to switch characters. Mm. I got very annoyed when Mm. I had made it quite a ways in and was like... Oh yeah, there they all are in the menu. I was pretty annoyed when I discovered um, during the, and, and this was like many, several hours, several, there may be video of this transpiring still somewhere. Um, several hours into Killer7 on my umpteenth attempt to play it, discovering that there's a map. <laughs> It helps, doesn't it? Helps to have a map. Sure does help to have a map. (laughs) My god. The controls in this game are so unintuitive. I couldn't, I didn't discover there was a map. Do you know how I discovered there was a map? 
I tried to reload my gun. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love this game. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I fucking love Killer 7. It is very, very good and interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I suppose I should... We should move to Laura, but I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on No More Heroes. But oh, Laura's I've played a lot thoughts. of stuff. Oh, yes. I, I've Look, I've played a lot of stuff I can just waffle through. I'm very happy to sit and listen to you talk about Grasshopper games because I, I, I know I haven't chimed in much. Uh, I'm excited to get to No More Heroes because I have strong opinions about that. But uh, a couple of quick things I'll rattle through. I picked up Gunsuit Gardens on your recommendation last week, and that game is pretty great. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I'm I'm very much gelling with the way that that game handles auto-targeting pretty smartly whatever enemy is the most threat that you can take over and manually aim, which mainly is really useful for, like, ah, there's a big boss enemy, I want to be able to, like, auto-target to clear stuff as I'm backing away from a big attack, and then once I've backed away focus my fire on the enemy for a few seconds. I think that that, like, back and forth works really nicely. I appreciate the clarity of how you get the uh, permanent currency for getting upgrades. And I think the system of how you uh, unlock, like, your your new starting weapons and new special moves and things, I think is pretty well laid out. I didn't expect to enjoy this as much as I did. I I don't do well with, like, top-down bullet hell situations. But this automated enough of the aiming directions that I was able to sort of... It cleared up just enough brain space for me to be able to really enjoy this. Yes. Uh, so, very quickly, Gunsuit Guardians is pretty great. Mm-hmm. They've had an like, update as yeah. well since last week. Ooh. And they did have a sonic weapon. I mentioned last week they didn't, but they do have they did have one. So, just to add that. But yeah, I'm really That's, glad you yeah. like it. Yeah, I'm really digging it. I'm I'm really happy we're getting into this era of... There's just a lot of good choices in this genre. Yes, very much. And we, we're hitting a nice little nice little sweet spot, and I'm enjoying that. And if any of them want their best year is written, hit me up. Hell yeah. But yeah, the, the only other game I've played this week, and I, I will go into a little more depth on this quickly, is a game called Wild Frost that I'm really into. So Wild Frost is a deck-building roguelike that is... Mechanically, uh, kind of similar to something like Inscription, but very tonally different. Uh, I I say it's similar in that you are starting with, like, here is your starting deck of cards, and after you've won a fight, here is a map, and you pick which diverting path to take, being able to see what kind of upgrade you will get, be a permanent, a consumable, or a new card to put in your deck, that kind of thing. But the the gimmick here is that it's, it's got this lovely cartoony art style, You have, like, three factions you can pick from, and they are essentially your sort of starting decks that give you a direction to start building from. So you can either start with, like, there's one faction that's all about, like, elemental abilities. There's one that's to do with, like, summoning cool demon summons in to help you, etc. There is no mana system or, like, summoning currency in this. You have cards, and you can simply play them. The thing that is a little sort of interesting when you're deck building is rather than having, like, oh, I need six bones or whatever to put this card out, each card will have a number down the bottom, and that that is, it will attack every that many turns. So a card might be very powerful, but it, it, but take more turns before it gets to attack again is usually the sort of trade-off rather than having a mana system. A lot of the the stuff on the cards is very simple. You've got, like, attack stat for whenever they attack, you've got health, you've got 
fairly simple abilities that are things like attack all enemies in a row, stuff like that. But a lot of the focus here is around, you have one specific card that is like your hero that goes out at the start of, of every match, and you need to keep them above all else from falling to zero HP. Any other card you have can get destroyed and that's fine, they'll get in the discard pile, come back around in the deck. You have your one person you're trying to protect. Uh, and you can do that by setting up your cards on the field with like other cards in the way. You can like set up defensive walls so that certain cards will take damage before others, uh, which is a neat little system. Uh, working out how to arrange characters for optimal defenses is really neat. I also really like that there is a system around some of your cards, specifically like things like pets or other characters that you're summoning to the field. You can recall them, you can take them off the board before they've hit zero HP, uh, and the reason you would want to do that is if a card hits zero HP, it will come back around, but the next match you enter, they will start with reduced health and reduced uh, damage because they got injured. So you can choose to like get them as close to zero as possible, you know, without going under, and then pull them off the board to heal them and not have them be injured. Uh, there's a lot of like really neat little mechanics going on here, but they all come together very simply into a very satisfying little little roguelike. I very much appreciate that every time you finish a run, the game shows you a bunch of sliders going up of how close you are to doing things that will activate something new in town that will get you sort of permanent progress. So every run you're seeing these little sliders go up and go, oh, that slider's near the end. What What's that one to do with? Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that a couple of times in the next run. I also like their consistency mechanics, so making sure that you never have turns of just, I have a shit hand and there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, you start around with six cards in your hand. At any time, uh, you can just throw out your hand of cards and get a new six cards. But if you've got more than two cards in your hand when you do that, that's your turn. So at any point, you can spend your turn to throw your hand out and draw six new cards. Or you can wait until there's only a couple of cards left in your hand and then do it for free without taking your turn up. And that trade-off works really nicely. It's a very satisfying little game if you like randomised deck building and trying to get through difficult runs of, of making your build as you go. It's really fun. I, I recommend it. I recommend it a lot. Neat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what about you, comrade? You played anything else this week? Uh, well, I did play a a kind of interesting first-person horror game called VHS Slaughter. Ooh, I caught a little bit of this. You were playing it on stream, I think. Yeah, Linda and I played it. Um, she did a run. I did a run of it. It's short. It takes about forty minutes to complete. It's first-person game with uh, low poly models and textures that are very basic i guess i would probably put it around mid mid late 90s visuals except for the character models and we'll get we'll get to them in a second but you are an employee at a video rental store in some place that you, you work the late shift and there is a serial killer on the loose and eventually you start receiving tapes from the serial killer and it goes from interesting there. yeah visually it looks like it might be my thing mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. These retro like horror games can go either way. Yeah. But my interest is always piqued when I see a game that looks like this. Yeah, it it does. I like the way it looks. The character models are unsettling because they are strangely proportioned, very round in comparison to everything else in the environment. And they're just, they're hideous. But in an oddly charming way at the same time, they're just like too long and too smooth. And (laughs) they're weirdly disproportionate limbs. It's just, they're odd. Odd people. There's not much to it. You know, you come in and, and, you know, I like these games where you have to do little mundane tasks like put things back on shelves and take out trash. And you do those things here. I like that there is a a space in the environment of the store that seemingly serves no purpose whatsoever but my personal entertainment, uh, which is the bathroom. When I played the game, the first thing I would do immediately upon arriving to the store each night is go into the bathroom and close the door and pretend to shit. Because in my head canon, you know, I only shit at work. (laughs) And it's just little things like that, little emergent narrative opportunities. At the same time, like those mundane tasks, when you have them in, in your game, they need to sort of conform to some kind of internal logic. Example. People return videos, you have to take them and put them on the shelf. So when the guy comes in and thanks you for having given him the suggestions on these new horror movies, you would think that those tapes then need to be placed along the section of wall underneath the sign that says new horror movies. This is apparently not the case. (laughs) And it occurs at a time when something else is happening in the game that is um this game likes to do auditory annoyance things <laughs> to a certain mm. extent and there are a couple of points where it's just like okay it's gone from creepy to mildly oppressive i will I have to acknowledge that but generally speaking it's it's an, it's a cute little thing that you won't spend a whole lot of time doing. It does have multiple endings, or at least it claims to have multiple endings. I was only ever presented with two options in, ter- in terms of how to end the story, and one of them involved talking to police, so I never went down that route. Um, I just saw the other ending twice. So I, I don't, I, I can't confirm that, but um, it wasn't a terrible experience. It's on itch, it's pay what you want. It's worth checking out, at least. I, I do think it's doing some some fun stuff. It does some other things that on a like subsequent playthrough, I find a little bit annoying how railroaded it wants to make me into making certain choices. Or, or, or even just in terms of not giving me access to some parts of the environment. It just doesn't make sense not to let me go up there. I, I think there could be some more rewarding enjoyment to be had out of uh replay i guess but on the whole for uh, a little short horror experience it's pretty fun and i like it atmospherically i like it visually i do think narratively it has you questioning some some stuff uh that's going on around you that's kind of fun 
there are little little bits that can contribute to a, a good sense of dread and paranoia. It's very simple, but it's also very short and um, and pay what you want. So I would check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I've got the page open. It, uh... Yeah, it looks like it's worth me looking at. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Neat. Uh, Steph, do you, want, do you want to talk about No More Heroes? Oh, what a <laughs> fascinating game again, for some same and different reasons. One of my favourite objectively bad games. It is objectively bad. I love it. It's like a 10 out of 10 bad game. Suda51 is great at being bad. Great at... He makes great games that are shit. And this one is... I'm going to email this conversation to Jonathan Holmes, by the way. <laughs> I've been look, thinking about look. him. Well, I always think about him. <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah. I have been... I've kept him in my thoughts while playing No More Heroes. Because I know he's a, a big fan. I am a big fan of that series. And like the first No More Heroes, I, I think it is an incredibly memorable game with a great sense of style that is like over the top in all the ways I love. While frequently uh, just not defending it having a reason to be a video game for stretches of time. Like, there are stretches of time in that game that don't need to exist, and there are parts of it where I'm like... I mean, look, No More Heroes 2 is the way it is because everyone can agree that No More Heroes 1 had good moments stretched out by a baffling empty town where that existed for no reason. So it it doesn't exist for no reason. Well it, yeah. It sorry, does exist yeah. for a reason. And because of that <laughs> well, reason, I have spent a lot of time playing No More Heroes thinking Why are you taking it out on me, Suda? I liked the linearity in Killer Seven. You don't have to make <laughs> the point to me It's Yeah it's it's making a point with its gameplay. And unlike Killer7, which I think um, did that really elegantly and in a way that entertainingly informed the um, themes of the game, this one is petulant, for one. And for another thing, it does one of the things I hate the most, <laughs> which is just being the thing it's claiming to satirise. Because that's the big defence of the fact that No More Heroes takes place in a bland, boring, desperately empty open world that you are forced to manually travel to get to things. And in that world is repetitive, grinding jobs, like picking up fucking coconuts. There's something else in in that world as well. You can go find... What is it? T-shirts in bins? Yeah. Occasionally, you go find the the Dragon Balls or whatever they there were. There are the very occasional little collector thumbs, which <laughs> themselves are fucking grindy rubbish. Uh, Not worth it. And of yeah. course, the big defense of this is, well, that's the point. Ah, don't you see now who is the fool? It was the point, and that makes it okay. No, it doesn't. Look, it just is... like Far Cry Blood Dragon, you can't just do a shit thing and then point at it and go look at it, it's a shit thing. It is not okay when an action RPG gives you a quest to kill ten rats in the basement, then looks at the camera and says, huh, like, 
We haven't seen that before. Because, yes, don't do it if you know it's boring. So don't all you of... can't punch me in the dick, then wink and say it sucks when you get punched so... in the dick, right? Like, yeah, don't do it. So I agree with you, while also being like. Yeah, but that oversized motorcycle is fun to drive, even if there is no reason to want to drive it. I like, would this... debate that. I would, look, I would debate no, no, no. that in it the House of Commons. It, look, it doesn't control well, but I do enjoy the unwieldy nonsense that it is. Well, the... <laughs> no more heroes. And I'm telling myself I'm actually going to like beat it this time. It is work. Quite literally, because half the game is doing a day job to afford the next level. Which I I love. Yeah. I love all of that, though. Like, I love it all. I love... That's like, the stuff that I enjoy in No More Heroes. It's not I, the other things. I love that in theory more than in execution. I like the idea. Oh, the games are terrible. No More Heroes 2. I think it got a good balance of, like... Yeah, you gotta go do your day job, but your day job is some at least, like, fun little pixel art things you can jump in and out of. Like, I like the concept. I'm glad that the idea exists, even if I don't enjoy doing it. I think one of the biggest crimes with No More Heroes, it's not just that it's doing that thing, where it's being the thing it satirizes, where it's like, huh, grinding in a game sucks, right? Now we're going to make you do it, but we know it sucks, so it's okay. Like, I hate that. I actually think that's worse than doing it by accident. I always think there's a, a Simpsons game, imaginatively called The Simpsons Game, mm-hmm. um, that did some shitty fucking... I think it was like a sliding block puzzle or something. And then one of the characters commented about how shit those are in games. And I'm like, if you know it's shit and you're doing it, you're just being shit on purpose. The problem with that is as a player, I have to engage with that. It's not like fucking Spinal Tap where it's like, we're a bad band, but it's funny to listen to and we're not going to make you sit through an entire... Well, actually, they did. They did. But we're not going to make you play the guitar. Like, I have to sit here for hours grinding and I've got ADHD and I have not got the patience to pick up fucking coconuts for hours. The funny bit is is that, like... There is a way to both do that and do less work, which is to simply suggest that you're going to make them do a box puzzle and then say, no, just kidding. This is a waste of your time. The way that the tone that game has, I'd have been much more impressed if it had made you do like one of those city day jobs like once and then you could just shoot the fucking guy in the head and (laughs) like get out of it. That's that's my problem with games that try to satirize gameplay and just do it. It's like, you know you can point out that something's shit without, like, demonstrating it in laborious detail, right? I do like the idea that Travis just threatens the, the boss and takes the money. And then you, yeah. then you can have the best of both worlds. You can do both things. <laughs> exactly. The problem with, with No More Heroes, and here's why it's even worse, is, well... It's worse. There's being the thing you're satirizing, and then there's satirizing it so much, you're actually worse than the thing you're satirizing. And Mm. that is what gets to me about No More Heroes. The level of grinding and the boring nature of not just the day jobs, but the uh, optional assassination missions, which 
like the combat in that game isn't fantastic. It's fine. It's passable. It's funny. Yeah. Like, you know, again, Suda's a wrestling nerd. I am a wrestler. The fact that I'm recognizing, like when he's doing a dragon suplex or you know, a brain buster and stuff like that, or a fucking tombstone pile driver. Like, I love all that. I think that's that's really fun. But by the time I've earned enough in-game money to play the next level, I have just been button mashing against mooks. And then the level is mostly that. So I've already become tired of the thing I worked hard, the fun that I've worked to unlock was already presented to me as work. And that is a real issue. And the the amount of grinding you have to do and the, the and, and little things that just feel petty. Like, why are the free missions the ones that you can go without having to go to a specific location and register for it and then go there? Like, the ones that you can just turn up to and and play. Why are they all what missions in which you lose if you get hit once? In a game where the enemies can line up their attacks so that the moment you're done being in an animation you can't break out of, they can just hit you. So much of the game, it just feels spiteful. Everything you're saying is correct, but for me, I am willing to put up with all of that because I get to play a game where I fight a man who shoots lasers out of his dick and a woman who has a shopping cart that turns into a, like, 30-foot-long cannon. And those things will always be enough for me to go, you know what, it's worth it. I want to kill this man with a dick laser. I think that's, uh... You know, that is what keeps me hooked. Because a lot of Grasshopper games are, for one reason or another, sometimes deliberate, sometimes not, bad in some way. And they get a lot of forgiveness because of the really good things they do. But when I think of the good stuff in No More Heroes, I think of the fact that so far this current playthrough, I've put about five or six hours in. And if I had focused just on the things that stood out, basically just the boss fights, I got what? maybe 20 minutes of actual game that was good. You're not wrong. But for whatever reason in my brain, those moments of of it at its peak are enough that I'm not going to say any of the other things about it are good, but that I have replayed this multiple times and gone, yeah, it's worthwhile, and had a good time. And I do that in spite of the fact that, like, most of this game is not what I enjoy about this game, but its peaks are so, so much my exact thing that it carries me through. I think I know why there's so much toilet humour in a Suda51 game. Yeah. Because he loves the word but. You're not wrong, but. This game's really bad, but. He's got (laughs) but on the brain because it's it's his saving throw every single time. And look, and here's look, the thing. I like I like a I like a good butler. I know, exactly. <laughs> you and him need to collab. I'd actually I'd love uh, that. Um but yeah, like here I am saying, but I'm still playing here. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. The game infuriates me. And I don't like it mostly. I'm trying to avoid saying the B word in any of this. It's it's my favourite 6 out of 10 I've ever played. Yeah, it's... It's... When it's entertaining, it is entertaining. I just find it so unforgivable. 
and fascinating in the way I even remember the dialogue at the time, some of it coming from Jonathan Holmes, kind of rubbing me the wrong way because my whole career, one of the things that have annoyed me in game criticism is justifying something being bad because the developer meant to do it, which to me should be even less forgivable than if they did, uh, if they didn't. Um, For example, one of the most damning criticisms I ever made of Too Human was that it was it perfectly reflected the developer's vision. And I meant that as an insult because it did what they wanted it to do, which meant they explicitly chose to make you sit through that 30-second Valkyrie animation every time you die. And that's worse than if they'd have thought after they released it, oh, shit, people don't like that. We, we, fuck, we fucked up, guys. We fucked up. No, to to hear that you've made your game boring for people and then think, ha, that's another job done. Like, I it's, it doesn't sit well with me. So even though I'm fascinated by No More Heroes, and I'm very much looking forward to finishing it so I can play No More Heroes 2, while I've been sort of digging into other ones, I don't know if I'll bother replaying Killer is Dead, because that was the time I was like, Grasshopper's officially high on the smell of their own farts now. That's where I drew the line, yeah. 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 I, I remember playing it and just thinking, I, I, no, no, they have gone too far. Yeah. Um, but No More Heroes is, is fascinating for the exact same reason as Killer7, but with a very different result. And I think at some point I really do need to do a Jimquisition on games just being their own satire, because No More, and, and no More Heroes would have to be uh, probably the finest example, probably the best example of that. But yeah, I know a lot of people defend it. I just think it's a bit unfair to defend a game being like horrendously boring on purpose and then criticising a game that is less boring, but a bit boring by accident. I just think that's a lesser travesty. Travesty. That was good. No, it wasn't. (laughs) I thought that was all right. Oh, Um, thanks. All right. Should we rattle through a couple of bits of news quickly before we finish up? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try and keep this to the uh, the the uh, short version of this because we've been going around uh, a little long today. Um, are either of you aware of the uh, situation currently going on with Nintendo trying to take down the YouTube channel of a content creator called Point Crow? They've been going on a warpath. They've been trying to get people yeah. fired from GameStop. They have hit that Gary Bowser with like a debt yeah. that he'll never be able to pay. They have proven that. It is very scary to pirate from Nintendo, but the scarier it is, the more it is morally okay to pirate from (laughs) Nintendo. I've never been more confident of that thing that I've been saying for years. Yeah. I, so I skimmed over a couple of those stories, but yeah, you're right. But Gary uh, Gary Bowser's out of jail, but he's got like 10 million to pay off that's going to be 30% of his wages for life until it's paid back. There was that employee who got fired from GameSpot, uh, GameStop because uh, even though images of the Switch OLED Tears of the Kingdom console leaked like four months ago, some GameStop employee an hour before a Nintendo Direct saw Switch OLED hardware with no other information pop up in their back end and was like, I bet you that's probably the Tears of the Kingdom OLED. And Nintendo called and were like, no, you must fire him for that. But the story I I bring here is there is a creator on YouTube called Point Crow that does a lot of content uh, around Nintendo games, specifically around Breath of the Wild and, and modded content for Breath of the Wild. And 
He commissioned and released a really interesting mod for Breath of the Wild that added four-player co-op multiplayer to the game. And having had a look at it, it is a genuinely fascinating mod that is, like, technically very impressive and... It's a really cool thing that was leading to a lot of people making fun content with this six-year-old game just before the new video game comes out that's the sequel. This seems like a win-win. Nintendo doesn't, you know, contact him and tell him to take the mod down. They don't copyright strike the video about the mod. They go in and copyright claim... I think it's currently about 30 of his videos don't exist on the internet, and they keep taking more of his videos down, some of which are nothing to do with modding or Zelda. They tried to do a bunch of strikes, but in, like, multiple batches, and you'll be familiar with this tactic, Steph. I am very much so. Not putting strikes on all the videos at once so that they can do more of them afterwards and try and get additional strikes on the channel. Uh, This creator has been trying to reach out to Nintendo to go, what can I do that will be an amicable end to this situation? Like, I would like to open a dialogue so that I can find a way to make you happy and to not have my channel be at risk of vanishing. And Nintendo is just ignoring him and continuing to take more of his videos off the internet. I picked this one, but it's one of like three stories this week of Nintendo's just like, really got their claws out being a bit vicious at the moment. I mean, I'm not going to say they're literally terrorists. But they are using terror to get what they want. Yeah. That's literally what they're doing. It's terror tactics. This is so... Such an overstep, for one. Like, this is beyond the crossing a line. The multiple things they've done, none of them are morally okay. The the reason I brought the YouTuber one up is because of, like, this one particularly I've looked at and I'm like, you're doing things here deliberately to be malicious. The steps around trying to, like, create multiple strikes rather than bundling them as one is, like, you're not just trying to get that content taken down. You're issuing a threat. Yeah. And, like, it's them throwing their weight around, be like, no, we're Nintendo, we don't have to, we don't have to respond. And it's just... There's just been a lot of these stories this last week or two of Nintendo just, like, really throwing their you-can't-touch-us-legal power around. Other than that, Sega is buying Rovio, the studio that made Angry Birds, for $775 million. Yeah, I that makes a lot of sense to me in a weird way. Like, I can see Sega being the Angry Birds company. That does not feel yeah. weird. It sort of fits in with a lot of their other branding and product line yeah. and they so get a forth. lot out of it yeah i mean yeah it's angry birds is not the top property like it used to be but it's still fucking successful you're right but also i'm gonna read you one sentence from this uh, article on the verge to tell you what they're actually purchasing here okay. uh, so according to the verge in a press release sega said it hopes to use Rovio's distinctive know-how in live-service mobile game operation to bring Sega's current and new titles to the global mobile gaming marketplace. Oh, no. oh Here okay. We fucking oh. go. Yeah, fuck off. They want to make li- they want to make live-service mobile games using Sega brands, and they're like, "Hey, Rovio, you're pretty experienced at mobile mobile titles with microtransactions." Yeah. Can you just please so, do with our properties that shitty stuff that Nintendo's been doing with its properties on mobile, please? Fucking hell. 
yeah, it 100% seems like here is a bunch of microtransaction-filled Sega games, and you are a studio that know how to make them for us. Uh, so that's happening. If this is how we get a new Streets of Rage, I am going to shit in the fucking river. I will shit in the river like a like some sort of broken trout. <laughs> the last thing I will note, and this is just because, like, I don't know if either of you are aware, are aware of this, but um, are you aware of the children's cartoon brand Peppa Pig? Um, I unfortunately am. Yeah, cartoon about a British cartoon about a family of of pigs. So there was a bit of a viral clip from the latest Peppa Pig video game doing the rounds a little while ago. Queen Elizabeth is like a somewhat recurring character in the TV show. Well, she was for a long time in reality, too. Yeah. Um, and when they were making the most recent video game, Queen Elizabeth was still alive, and they made a level where this family of pigs goes and meets Queen Elizabeth uh, and hangs out with her in London, and then Queen Elizabeth died. And then they decided not to release the game with that level in it, and everyone moved on happily. Yeah. Did they leave the level in? They made a fascinating choice considering this game is for children, which is you finish the level where you've just had like your happy little pig smiling and laughing and interacting with the queen, and then an in mem- memorandum screen comes up going, Hey, sorry kids, the queen the queen who you just hung out with, she's dead. She died this year. In memory of her, she's dead. The developers have now responded. To this, they have said, you know, we we had conversations internally about how to maybe, uh, you know, deal with this. We could have we could have removed the level. You sure could have. Oh, good. Oh, they they knew that. Good. Yeah. They they could have done that, and then they were like, no, we thought that the right thing to do was to leave the level in as a tribute to the queen, and with its in memoriam screen in acknowledgement of her passing. I'm like, what four year old? Why are you putting, like, a, hey, this character's fucked, she's dead. No four-year-old needs that in a video game. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love pointing out that she's dead. I love pointing out that the queen's dead, but, like, I don't need to, to ever be in a situation in life where a child finds out that a character they like died in real life and I have to explain that to them because Peppa Pig told told them she's dead i even i even to a certain extent have less of a problem with that my issue is context okay this kid has no context for the queen the actual queen they just know this fictional queen that that they have like if they knew what queen elizabeth was like yeah that'd be different you know but this is that's (laughs) why it's for adults it's not you know appropriate to do that with a child because the child has no context for why it is good that the queen is dead (laughs) so yeah we look it's not much of a of an update but it's nice to see some acknowledgement of yeah it's maybe a bit weird that we had that sorry the queen is dead screen in our game for four-year-olds amazing there you go that's that's it we did it we did it we've done an episode woohoo uh people may want to know what else has been done and laura i know you have done her stuff I mean, I have done the stuff. Do you, do you want to know about it? I uh, tell you what. I reckon. I reckon. Yeah, we got time. Yeah, we. Yeah, we got time. Why don't you tell them? We just about got time. I reckon. So, uh, you can find me at Laura K Buzz on all the places you find me: Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. All all the places. I'm in all of them. 
the big one I'm going to talk about, which uh, you might be hearing about it here first, but it's going to be sort of, uh, by, by the end of this week, oh, everyone's going to be talking about it. I have spent the last few uh, weeks getting ready to put together a little showcase of games during E3, Summer Games Fest, whatever the fuck we're calling it these days, uh, called the Access Ability Summer Showcase, uh, which is going to be airing on Friday, June 9th uh, at 4pm UK, 11am uh, Eastern, 8am Pacific. It is going to be a showcase of a bunch of interesting looking video games that takes the time to talk about the accessibility settings in those games so that disabled people during, you know, video game trailer hype week can watch trailers and go, cool, that thing looks exciting and I know I'm actually going to be able to play it rather than having the sort of whiplash of that looks cool, oops, not for me, they, they won't let me play that one. So if you want to find out a bunch of uh, about about a bunch of cool video game announcements that also will tell you about accessibility stuff that might be helpful for you, look forward to the Access Ability Summer Showcase. Uh, it's going to be available in uh, British Sign Language, American Sign Language, and um, audio described versions. I, I'm working my socks off on this. I'm really, really excited about it. Pencil that in. Cause oh, it's 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 gonna be a it's gonna be something special, I think. Uh, awesome. What about? What I just want to say I'm really oh. impressed with that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's very cool. I've wanted to do it for a while. I tried a couple of times, and it's finally coming together this time. And it's it's about ready to 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 properly talk about. And I am excited for people to eventually see what I've been working on behind the scenes for a while. So, yeah. Uh, Conrad, what about you? Where are you on that internet? Oh, well, I'm at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Um, also, I have a, a thing. Um, I have opened up a new storefront um, that's now going to house the Gymporium and uh, some of my stuff and maybe some other stuff down the road. Um, we're in the process of getting the Gymporium, like, transferred over in, so it's still, like, linking to the wrong place. But if you go to mercenarycreative.com, you can check that out. All of the fine Gymporium products that you've come to know and love are there, um, along with some other new stuff that, uh, I'm trying out. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for it. We're just shipping domestically U.S. while we sort out how we're going to do international um, but that's coming in the next couple weeks and, uh, yeah, just, just check it out and, and let me know what you think. If you, you know, see something weird, let me know. We're in a sort of soft launch at this point, but, um, very excited for it. And, uh, everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fist shark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh. Uh, oh hell yeah! Yes, Patreon.com/slash Jimquisition. Um, that is the website. Uh, I also stream when I'm when I'm just not as simultaneously busy and ill as I have been lately. Twitch TV/slash Jim Sterling. Um, my next current wrestling date is this weekend. I will be in Preston for PCW, uh, where I am a uh, women's champion. Um, I'll be taking part in a triple threat match. Uh, you'll be able to get ticket details there at buytickets.at slash PCW. Um, after that, the next confirmed date is May 12th in Liverpool. Um, that is Effie's Big Gay Brunch. Uh, that'll be my Liverpool City debut. Um, you can get 
ticket details via uh, just look up TNT Extreme Wrestling. Um, that'll get you deets for that. Uh, that one's going to be very good. It is a going to be just a massive, huge guy um, wrestling event. Uh, and then on June 10th, I will be defending the PCW women's title against Harley Hudson uh, at uh, PCW's uh, second annual Pride show, Pride of the Ring. That's June 10th. That's in Blackpool. Um, same link, buy tickets, dot at slash PCW, whatever it was I said. Um, there are other dates, but I can't remember them all, so I'll just uh, leave it at that. Thank you all so much for listening and for all your support, and we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.